Welcome to Connected Communities, a podcast produced by TCU's Karen Purvis Institute of Child Development. You're listening to episode four in our series about connected educators. Connected Communities features conversations about trust-based relational intervention, TBRI, and its application within different communities of care and practice. TBRI is an attachment-based, trauma-informed intervention designed to meet the complex needs of children and families who have experienced adversity, early harm, toxic stress, or trauma. Today, we're so excited to share the experience of two teachers who use TBRI in their classrooms every day at their middle school in Greenwood, Indiana. You'll hear from Heather Story, who is in her sixth year as a seventh grade language arts teacher, and Erin Stout, who is a seventh grade special education teacher. Both of these awesome teachers have truly embraced TBRI, and they give so many great ideas for connecting with students, empowering their bodies to be ready for learning, and reframing behavior, both in person and virtually. We love talking with Heather and Erin and hope that this conversation is helpful for anyone who's starting school this year, whatever that looks like. All right. Thank you, Emily, and welcome, Erin and Heather, to the podcast. How are you guys? Great. How are you? We're good. We're, we're thankful for you spending your time to, uh, with us today. I know the back to school is in normal circumstances quite chaotic. So with COVID, we know it's even more so. So we'll hop right in. Erin, we'll start with you. Can you just tell us a little bit about yourself? How'd you get into education? Maybe what roles you've had in the past and, and what keeps you in the game? What inspires you to, to continue to stay in education? Um, sure. Um, this is my, I'm starting my 21st year in education. Um, I've always been in special education. Um, I started off in a different major and very quickly realized that it wasn't for me and thought about well, what am I good at? And I've always been good at school. So um, I continued, I just jumped right into that. Um, uh, like I said, I've always been in special education. I've taught grades preschool all the way through eighth grade. Um I've been in this particular school, Center Grove Middle School Central, um, for 15, well, this is my 15th year. Um, some of the roles I have besides being a special education teacher are, um, I serve on our design team committee, which is in charge of the professional development for our school. And I also serve on the positive behavior intervention supports, um, which, you know, is all about encouraging the right choices and things like that. I'm on that committee as well. And I'm just inspired because the kids are fabulous. I, I'm much more apt to interact and connect with kids sometimes than most adults. And I just, I love the opportunity, especially at the middle school level to um, really sort of have the ability to help mold these kids into um, the citizens that they're going to be in our community. Um, it's a really unique opportunity and I'm thankful for it. Oh, that is so cool. I love the the idea of middle schoolers because they're um, it is just such a unique time in life. Like I think some of us all look back at like how we just survived middle school. And so um, I love that there are adults that I believe are, are really perfectly designed to lead that age group. And so we're, we're thankful for all your experience, the positive behavior um, intervention support. That sounds like it lines perfectly up with TBRI. It definitely does. We um, Heather and I were trying to, remember how long we've had this committee in our school. I think it's at least seven years we've been doing this committee. So our schools were trained in TBRI fully just last school year. So so we've been on this train for a while, um, but it's nice to have the TBRI strategies 
at hand now to go along with our PBIS committee. Thank you so much for all of that. Okay, Heather, your turn. How about just a little bit about you? Same thing. How did you get into education and what roles have you had? And then, of course, what keeps you there? I have been in education. This is going to be my 13th year in education. Um, thinking of it as my lucky 13, hopefully this year, uh, <laughs> with everything going on. Um, I've taught almost all grade levels. I started off teaching seventh and eighth grade um, language arts, moved up to high school and taught all the grade levels there. Then I actually dropped back down to elementary and I was a reading remediator and reading specialist there. Um, and then I came right back to middle school because that's home for me. Um, I've been at Middle School Central. This will be my sixth year. Um, here, um, like Erin, I've been on the PBIS committee. Um, I'm on design team as well. Um, and then I'm on the subcommittee for SEL off of design team. Last year, I took the role of TBRI task force. Um, I was on that piece and I got to work very closely um, with Amy and our admin. And then um, I'm one of the team leaders in the school as well. So um, I kind of get to help lead some of the others um, with our SEL components. I started teaching, I think uh, the value of education was just imprinted on me very early. Neither of my parents went to college. My my mom never graduated high school. My dad went back and got a GED. And so they really pushed education on us because they did not have the opportunities for education with their upbringing. Um, my husband is who really inspires me to continue to serve. He has an incredibly high ACES score. He was a foster kid, and he just had a teacher who just found him in middle school, loved on him, and helped him get into foster care um, and find a family who just loved on him. And so I always think about there's a kid out there that might need that same love that my husband did. Well, Heather, I just really, I really love your story. And I love that um, in, in middle school, your husband had somebody that really connected him in such a, a trying time and, and that that probably, or that did influence you to continue to help kids. And I have no doubt that um, you will have a similar legacy to the people or the individual that helped him out. Can you share a little bit with us about uh, what return to school looks like? either in your district or even just specifically in your school would be fine. First and foremost, our students had the option of coming back in person or virtual. I know a lot of districts did the same. Um, but one thing I loved about our district was they really set up for families. This is what it will look like if you choose to come back in person. So they knew what they were coming back into. Um, they took a lot, there's lots of safety measures in place with the masks and um, if you can't social distance wearing the masks facing the same direction. Um, we have two cafeteria spaces instead of the one now. Every room has hand sanitizers and wipes to clean things down. Students carry backpacks, lots of things um, that for the cleanliness and the safety of our students that were put into place. For our school in particular, when we took this to design team, we thought this is a lot of change for these students and it's a lot for them to come back into a building and to see these spaces look so different. And so um, our goal as design team was to split into two subcommittees um, and one of those is the SEL committee. And with that, we wanted to make sure that there was still a focus on 
students, getting to know our students and making those connections. We talked about one of the first things we talked about as a whole staff was still allowing the snacks for regulation, still teaching the students how to breathe, even in our masks, um, taking those mask breaks. We didn't want to lose anything that we had built up last year with TBRI. We still wanted that to be our main focus. And we felt like the students coming in, that's the, that should be our focus first and foremost um, before the curriculum piece. And so we really kind of started um, a little bit with that um, that at the beginning of the year staff meeting. And um, then beyond that, we have another Canvas subcommittee, which is like our online platform for students to learn. And every one of us will introduce our Canvas courses and our resources within Canvas so that if we then have to go to virtual learning, our students are comfortable navigating that and we're there to help them more in a hands-on way rather than being thrown into the virtual without that hands-on experience and without that help and support of someone in a classroom. I think it's so easy to see the barriers and I just love that y'all are like, yeah, those exist, but this is what we're going to do to meet the need. So as you think about things like the middle schoolers coming into the school for the first time, I imagine things look differently. What do you see as the challenges to continuing to create that connection when so many more restrictions? So we've gone to like high, high structure. How do you see the opportunities to create the, the, the balance of structure and nurture when we have such high structure? It is going to be challenging and our kids do crave connection. and so. Um, one thing that we already have in place and we have had for years is every day that our kids start off in a homeroom class and that class stays the same all year long. And the point of that class is for the kids to have a safe place, a go-to teacher that they can count on, that they can trust. So we already have been doing that for years where we establish those connections. We work on character ed. Um, that's already been established for a, for a long time. As Heather touched on, um, in the first eight days of school, our plan is to review engines. What does green mean? What does red mean? What does blue mean? Um, reviewing that, you know, we reviewed that with the staff already, which they're rock stars here, but we reviewed that with the staff, but reviewing that with our students as well. Um, we also know that we need ourselves as staff to stay regulated in order to help re regulate our students. And so um, we really have a big focus on connecting with one another as well. Again, we're a really close staff the way it is, but you know, we're, we're all feeling a lot of stress as well. Um, so we, we just talked to the staff about, you know, let's try to have a fellowship Friday where, where we're all in the, in the teacher's lounge at our lunchtime and we're focusing on the positive. What are things that went great today? We reviewed symbolic touch with the staff to use with our students because um, a lot of us are huggers and we're affectionate with our kids and how are we going to show them that they're safe here and that we love them. And so um, we reviewed all of that, the behavior matching, the safe touch, and we came up with, okay, we're not going to be able to hug the kids the way we're used to be able to hug the kids. We have to come up with some symbols in our class that you need to establish with your students, showing them, I'm giving you a hug right now, or, um, I'm, I'm patting you on the shoulder right now. We came up, we brainstormed as a whole staff, like what are some things we can use? And, and we and we challenged the staff, which of course they accept wholeheartedly to 
come up with those symbols with their kids. Some of the technology, again, because we know eventually we might be going virtually with all of the students right now. It's about 20 to 25% of our population, maybe a little less. There were some some apps that we we researched like Nearpod um, and Padlet to where we we tell the kids, hey, find find a meme that brings you joy. And then, you know, they find it and then it it um, displays on the screen. It just makes you happy. A lot of times it's it's dogs or sports or something like that. But so we, we showed the staff some things that they can do both in person and, and virtually to just continue to connect with, with kids, especially if, if there's there is a time that we have to go fully virtual. Yeah, that that's absolutely amazing. And I think one of the most important things that I heard you say um, was that as a staff, we're going to work hard to stay connected. Because if we can if we can keep the adults connected and feeling safe, then they're going to naturally bring that felt safety to the kids. And so, I just think that's that's so important. Heather, if you don't mind, I'd like to shift a little bit to the empowering principles. And you guys, I mean, y'all are just kind of killing it. Y'all talked some about symbolic cuts and about the engine work, which and the the engine work would certainly fall into our empowering principles. But also when you think about things like rituals and routines and predictability, which I always think the schools are uh, the experts at these things, how are y'all thinking about upping those things or or bringing them into the virtual environment through through this season? Well, so I think um, because our focus is SEL, Um, And we know that a lot of our students are coming in already, you know, their lids are flipped, they're unsure, there's so much uncertainty at home, at school, or are we going to stay at school? What is this going to look like? And so... Um, obviously, Erin had touched on the homeroom lessons that we're going to have and the way that we've already taught the staff a little bit. Um, our staff always does a really great job anyway of at the beginning of the year just being very patient and reminding students of their space and teaching our students that the classroom is their space. It's our space. It's not just the teacher's space and making them feel like this is their home and this is a part of their home as well. Um, The first eight days and really always um, we remind them of the different routines and we try just to not think about what could be because we know we could go virtual, but we don't want them to focus on the what ifs. And so when they're here with us, we want them to be all in and we would like for them to understand our routines and know that they are safe here in the environment that we have provided for them here. Um, As far as um, adding to our routines this year, because we could go virtual, we have already set up a virtual day um, for the students the second week of school. Um, We're encouraging all the students to wear PJs and to be as comfortable as possible and to come in and they're going to open it up, open their iPads up to their Canvas space for each of their classes and they're going to sit and work virtually and they're going to work on, okay, if I'm at home, I can't um, just go up and ask the teacher or I can't raise my hand and ask the teacher this, so what would I do? And the teacher's there to help them problem solve that. So the first week we'll show them the space and the second week they jump right in. We're still there. And I know other teachers have already talked about 
doing that, you know, once a week um, or every couple of weeks, just in case we go virtual, just to ensure that our students are very comfortable um, with the routine of whether they're in class or they're virtual, they know what they're expected to do. That is wonderful. I love that. I mean, that's just proactive teaching, right? Like that's the heartbeat of proactive teaching and, and having somebody right there, you know, in the moment that can say, oh, no, no, push right here. Um, and that'll get you to yes. the right stage or whatever. We'll just, I mean, uh, when we think about the stress systems of, of these kids and, and also think about it for the teachers, like I can't imagine having 100% of my kids virtually. And, and being worried about the kids that are having a harder time navigating the system. And so I would think for, for both, like we're, you're really just so intentionally calming their stress systems around things that, that could go awry, right? So yeah, if you hit the screen, you're going to have to redo this or whatever so that they understand exactly how to navigate it and are building a motor memory around it. I think that is so smart. And I think you're going to have a, a lot of kids that are able to get to their upstairs brain because of all this proactive work that y'all are doing. That is what um, our hope is. What about um, sensory needs? You know, in, in non-COVID times, we could certainly just have like a calming corner in our classroom that would contain some shared items, maybe a weighted blanket or a weighted stuffed animal or something like that. But in my mind, we can't, you know, you guys talked about each kid's going to carry their own backpack with all their supplies in it. So in my mind, we can't um, share items like that. Have, do you guys have some solutions for those things built in that, that y'all are going to try to implement? The, the plan is to review in homeroom, review some of the regulation strategies that we've seen the kids have success with. Again, we've been we've had TBRI fully in our schools where all staff have been trained for the past year. But um, even before that, we had already introduced some of the strategies. So wall push-ups, even that, you know, we have to find a space where we can do that. We're going to have to sanitize afterwards, but um, we have definitely also already focused with staff and again, with our communication to parents and students, how important hydration and snacks still are. We've had to, you know, shut down our, our water fountains, but we have water bottle refilling stations installed in several areas in our school. The kids who are coming back to us who are in seventh and eighth grade, obviously our sixth graders are new, but they know that our staff is, is big on hydration and, and nutrition. So they know that we're going to be pushing that um, quite a bit. We do. We also in our school have a sensory room. We're hoping that doesn't turn into a COVID room at some point because it's right, right outside the nurse's office or right on the other side of the nurse's office. And so we're hoping that we're going to keep that under control, but that's another room where our kids who are who are really dysregulated can come and, um, you know, get whatever type of sensory input they need. One of Heather's teammates was talking about how she in her classroom is going to have a small area called a mindfulness mat where that student can stay in the classroom if they feel like they need to regulate one way or the other, if they're in the blue or they're in the red, she's going to have um, the strategies posted back on the wall next to her mindfulness mat where they can be reminded of of what they need to do to regulate. And I'm stealing that idea because I think it's fabulous. So when I say that our staff is proactive, that's a, that's a prime example. Like this is what is most important to us because we know connection and regulation has to happen before learning can happen. So we're already in that mindset. Yeah. I mean, I, I'm, I like have goosebumps over here. Connection and regulation are what has to happen before learning can happen. And I think about like, 
it's I'm worried with COVID that like we have a, a high level of compassion right now, especially for the kids that, that we've really worried about them being at home. But at some point, I fear that the shift is going to go towards curriculum and towards, you know, the learning markers that everybody wants to see. And I love that you just said, like, look, guys, we can get there. We can get to the curriculum piece. We can get to achieving the milestones. But we have to have connection and regulation. And I think that is, is just brilliant. Um, and I, I really love the mindfulness, Matt, idea. I'm, I'm going to encourage other people to do that as well. You know, we talked about empowering. We talked about connecting. Do you have behavior concerns that are specifically COVID related? I've heard some schools talk about maybe, you know, refusal to wear masks or a kid becoming dysregulated and intentionally coughing or sneezing across the room. Do you guys have a plan for managing those things? Because that's it's a different level of, of concern and fear, I think. So, you know, because our families chose the face-to-face option, knowing what that was going to look like, knowing the measures that we were going to be taking, and they knew the mask mandate um, and the protocols. That eased some of my concerns. Um, And then our science department, when we came back, decided that they were going to create lessons for their students on the importance of why you should wear masks and why they are effective, and just giving them all the scientific facts and data. And that eased my mind even more. You know, I don't feel like we have a lot of concerns um, about what they're going to do. I think we train them on how to clean their space and we explain to them the importance behind cleaning their space and using the hand sanitizer often. And every time you leave and um, enter a room, you know, just to, you know, squirt a little bit of hand sanitizer before you go anywhere. Um, We all have those plans in place as far as teaching our students and helping them to understand why that's important. So I don't really foresee any concerns in that department. If we do, um, our Dean of Students is wonderful, but he would help them to see that and understand that, but in a loving sort of way. Well, and I think like one of the things that you guys have talked about throughout this this whole episode is that so, so much has happened proactively. So the, the parents knew really early on, these are your choices. And if you choose back to school, this is what it's going to look like. And if you choose virtual, this is what it's going to look like. So I feel like a lot of proactive work has gone into addressing those potential concerns. And so I just, uh, I think, you know, you, you're on the right track just with what you're saying for, you know, we don't have major concerns because we have the, the skill sets to respond. Erin, I want to shift a little bit. So if I'm a parent of a child receiving special ed services, do you have, and I, and I choose home learning or at-home learning or virtual, do you have any recommendations for how I can best support my child at home or even access the services that they need and the supports from the school? So um, we've designated one of the special education teachers on our staff. She's fabulous. Um, she's been designated as the virtual special education teacher. So it's nice that that will be able to be her focus um, right now for the for the families who have chosen the virtual option. Um, we've already had um, the case conferences um, this past week to discuss what those services are going to look like, um, ensuring that the families have you know internet access. Sometimes they don't have that. A lot of our local public libraries are offering that, but I know that we've talked about you know this is this is different than than being at school and having having that special education teacher at, at arm's length to, to help with things. So 
And, and we've even talked about, even though I'm not designated as one of the virtual special ed teachers, you know, it's all hands on deck. We're going to do whatever it takes to help um, the teacher who is designated as the as the special services teacher virtually. And she's a veteran teacher. She's amazing. So I don't have concerns there. But um, we also are really trying to focus on uploading into our into our Canvas courses regulation strategies, stressing that with parents. I mean, we've offered a lot of TBRI um, parent trainings in the district um, before COVID hit. So um, I don't know that there's a plan right now to do any of that virtually for our parents who haven't had that opportunity yet. But because we have the training and we know what works for the kids, we are going to have those reminders for regulation strategies on all of the Canvas classes. Because just because they're not at school doesn't mean those regulation strategies don't still work. Absolutely. And that they won't need them. I love that you said all hands on deck, by the way, because I think that's really the general theme is in the, in the, and a lot of times we see that in schools anyway, is that we're all just having to work so hard together. Still sticking with uh, just special ed, have y'all had to make changes to the classroom spaces or set up different uh, types of intervention or support areas for special ed in light of COVID within the school? Not really. We're an inclusion school. So our, our students with IEPs are, are out just as much as a student without an IEP. We do have a couple of self-contained classrooms, but they're smaller numbers anyway. So it's easy to, to socially distance those desks. So we're, we're really following the same protocol as, as the Gen Ed classrooms, which is um, you come in, you sanitize, you take um, a sanitizing wipe and you clean your area. And um, that's just the protocol as kids go to each class. And like Heather said, you know, sanitizing when you go to and from a classroom. So really our, our protocol is the same as, as any other classroom in the building. Awesome. Heather, if you could encourage teachers, is there a skill you would encourage them to teach proactively right now? Um, I think that the engine plate and just reminding students that if they're in the red, you know, to let somebody know, um, because it looks so different on so many different students. You know, sometimes when students get in the red, it's very easy to see they're in the red um, because when they flip their lid, it's, you know, it's loud. But I also know that when I get in the red, I'm more shut down and I'm not in the blue. I'm just you know, I'm frustrated or I'm angry. And so it looks very different on me than it does on maybe somebody else. And so just checking in with them often, even just when you're teaching a brand new concept, one of the things that I love about Nearpod is that you can ask questions throughout the presentation and students can answer and you can see the results, but others can't in the class. And so you can check with them like, hey, this was some tough information how are you feeling about it? You know, not, do you understand? Do you not understand? Because sometimes that that's going to get them in the red or they're shutting down. And now maybe they are in the blue. They're like, I, I quit. I can't do this anymore. And so I just think that engine plate and utilizing that to check in um, every once in a while with your students is going to be huge. That's probably first and foremost. One of the things that I would love to for our virtual teachers to look into is doing virtual nurture groups. I, I think that that really helps the students make those connections and feel not only 
um, see that their teacher cares for them, but give them the opportunity to care for others as well. And so I would love to see them do that. Yeah, that is so good. I love that you said one person in the red doesn't look like the next person in the red. Like, you know, it's it's still dysregulation, though, which means that we're not at our optimal time for, for learning. Can you just really briefly talk about what you mean when you say the engine work or in the red or in the blue? What do you mean by that? Yeah. So when we ask students to check their engine, um, we want them to be in the green. Green means that they're ready to go. They're ready to learn. They can be focused. Um, that's our goal. We want everyone to be in the green. We check in to see maybe they're in the blue. And in the blue, I always feel like the blue is where they're moving a little slower. Maybe they're not quite awake yet. Maybe their brains are moving just a little slower. I'm a processor anyway, but when I get in the blue, somebody could be talking right at me and I do not know what they're saying because my brain is just not ready for that type of conversation yet. And so being able to say, you know what, I really want to be able to listen to you, but right now I'm in the blue. Would you be able to maybe explain this later to me or talk to me about this later? And I think it's important for students to be able to say, I know you were up there talking, but I'm in the blue. I'm going to need it again. And then That's our, so good. <laughs> and then our red is, um, you know, your things are moving very quickly. Maybe you have something else on your mind. Um, I always feel like this is the baggage that a lot of times that the kids bring from home or from their friendships. If things aren't going so well, sometimes I feel like they come in and their lips are flipped already. And so we have to help them get back into the green and take that deep breath and leave that baggage at the door and um, go through some mindfulness activities to get them regulated again. We use the engine plate, you know, a lot in TBRI. It comes from the alert program. So thank you for digging into that more. And, and I think it's so important that we recognize that, you know, being in the, the blue or being in the red isn't necessarily bad. It's just where you are, but it also means you're not in an optimal place for learning. And Absolutely. so I like the idea of having that grace of saying like, you know, for, for me, it's like post lunchtime is, is a really easy place to be in the blue, you know, and yes. if my energy's low, I'm tired. Or, um, you know, if I have a lot of stress going on, I may not be in the mindset to, to really listen. And so I love just the idea of the, the, the kid being able to use their voice and say like, I was dysregulated. It wasn't that I was being disrespectful. I was just dysregulated. Can you repeat that? And how respectful is that to, to students and to adults to just be able to use your words to get those those needs met? And it's not about, you know, respect or, or behavior. Um, so you you both have identified very clearly that you work for a pretty amazing school district. Is there something you wish that school administration knew about how to support teachers better? And let's start with Aaron. Well, I think I just go back to um, what I feel like TBRI has ingrained in myself and, and many of my colleagues. I know Heather for sure is connection and regulation have to happen before any type of learning can happen, before any type of correction can happen. It's just been, like I told you before, life-changing for us. It's just such a different way to approach kids. It's a, it's a different way to approach education. It's just been so powerful. And, and it's been really powerful, I think, even to reflect on your, your own experiences as a child and, and just as an adult and what flips our own lid. And, and we use that, that phrasing all the time. I know Heather has used it a lot throughout this podcast, but we talk about upstairs brain. We talk about downstairs brain. We, you know, there are times when we're overwhelmed and we'll say to the kids, you know what, guys, my lid's about to flip. Give me a second. We have different um, 
symbols that we use for our upstairs brain and our downstairs brain and how powerful that is because we have kids coming to us from such different backgrounds, from such such different experiences, from such different learning levels. But if we can all use the same basic language when communicating with one another, and I'm going to tell you right now, we use that language with each other just as much as we do with our kids. Absolutely. And, um, and we say it all the time. I know Heather and I've had many conversations about this. We want everyone in the world to have TBRI. Like we want everyone to experience this. I try to go home and tell my husband, like, you don't understand this. Like, this is how, this is how we need to address this with our child when, when he's, you know, having a moment or whatever, like, this is why he's having that moment. It just needs to go so far beyond schools. And I know it does, but um, I just think this is like, this is helping our, our children grow up to be productive, wonderful citizens. And it's something that they're going to take with them for the rest of their lives, not just happening here in our little middle school. Yeah, absolutely. Well, I mean, it's, it's, it's really the power of connection and relationships. And so I think you're, you're exactly right. You know, TBRI is just really for humans. I mean, it's, it's just for relationships. It's not just for a subset at, at this point. I know it's, it's been pivotal in my life too, of, of just, changing the way that, that I do relationships and that, that I, w- I see uh, kids and their needs. And, and I agree with you. Heather, do you have anything to add to that? Yeah, I absolutely agree with everything Erin has said. Um, the only thing I would add is, you know, she talked about, you know, we all use it. And I think that that helps our students connect to us. It's not just about like, we feel a connection with the students. I think that because we're using the same language and we're all so vulnerable with our students because of that, you know, if you know, something is happening or something, or maybe the class before didn't go well, I can say, hey guys, like I'm a little bit in the red right now. I'm going to take just a moment and then I'll be with you and letting the students know, okay, we know what that means. We know where my teacher is right now. And knowing that I can use that, I think makes them more comfortable also using that language with us. You know, as Erin said, we have the hand, you know, these hand symbols to show, you know, hey, my lid is flipped right now. And, you know, sometimes we'll, we do it jokingly with the students. We're like, ah, we'll, you know, flip it up and the kids will kind of laugh. But then other times we're going, okay, you know, now I'm getting to be here. And I really understand that piece. And I think that um, because we're vulnerable with our emotions because of TBRI and where we are, it allows the students that same opportunity. You know, I think a lot of times they come in thinking, well, they must always be in the green. And we're not always in the green. And being able to be vulnerable with our students allows them to connect with us just as much as we're connecting with them. Yeah, absolutely. It's so funny because in my early years of working with kids, I was so afraid to, you know, share anything. And I realized that, like, that being vulnerable with them to just say my engine's on red or I've flipped my engine, you know, which we know comes from the work of uh, Dan Siegel and the whole brain pile and child. Um, but I, I've found like, there's actually so much freedom because I don't have to lie about who adults actually are, which is grown up kids, right? Like, like we do flip our lids. We do have bad days. We, we, we do get dysregulated, you know? And so it's like, I, I was so afraid of that vulnerability for so long in the, in the early days of, of my career working with kids, but it's actually just the opposite of that. Like it's, it's not in my mind. It's no longer something to fear. It's something to embrace because because I get to relax. I don't have to put up this big, you know, wall of and barrier of, of reality. And so, 
Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. And, and you know, if, if we don't get dysregulated at some point, then I just don't think we're being real. Um, and, and life is very, very stressful right now. So we should anticipate some adult dysregulation, too. Aaron and Heather, you guys have been amazing. We are so grateful that you have spent your time with us today. And um, I just can't wait for our listeners to, to hear this episode and to learn from your wisdom and the wisdom of your schools. And again, we just thank you so much for your time. Connected Communities is produced by TCU's Karen Purvis Institute of Child Development. For more information about the resources mentioned in this show, please visit our website, child.tcu.edu slash podcast. Thanks so much for connecting with us today. See you next time.